Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. Hey, if you've got a Bible with you, would you open it to Luke chapter 24? Uh, Luke chapter 24. He's not really my uncle, by the way. Don't freak out. It's okay. So good. And uh, the message tonight is actually called, Behold the Risen Son. We're going to get a little Easter Sunday morning. Is that all right? Yeah, we're going to get a little Resurrection Sunday morning on Sunday night. I don't know. Is there something in me that just wanted to talk about that? And so, Behold the Risen Son. That word, Behold, is actually mentioned in Scripture about 1,500 times. That's a lot of times, right? I'm not just talking about the Passion Translation. It's not real. Jokes. It's okay. I'm just tough crowd. All right. It's good. <laughs> and that word actually in the Greek, in its simplistic form, really means to see, right? To behold, to see. But it can be translated to be sure to see. Be sure to see. In other words, don't miss it. Don't miss this. And the women in this story have a behold moment, but the disciples actually miss it. They're not sure to see. And it's actually quite a remarkable story. And so let's read it. Luke 24 and verse 1 says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Don't you just love that line? Isn't that just amazing? He is not here. He has risen. In Mark's gospel, he actually records the angel saying, behold, he is the place where they laid him. In other words, hey, don't miss it. He's actually not here. Don't miss that he has actually risen. He is not here. He has risen. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But catch this. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They missed it. They hadn't yet had their behold Jesus, the risen son moment. But boy, is it coming. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Without it, well, what's our reference point for you? We're just so thankful for this. And I really pray that the loudest voice that we all hear tonight would be your still small voice, speaking to our hearts. We just pray, come Holy Spirit in power and have your way. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Reed was a little guy. No strategy, no plan. He actually didn't really know where he was going in his life. On the other hand, John, well, he was a big guy. He was strategic. He had plans. Man, I tell you what, he knew exactly where he was headed. In fact, big John worked really hard from a young age, stacking shelves in 7-Eleven stores. By the time he was 25 years of age, big John actually managed dozens of 7-Elevens. Soon enough... 
Big John became the CEO of Taco Bell and his rise to the top was quicker than the food that he was serving up. It was unbelievable. Big John then goes on into the entertainment industry. Meanwhile, little Reed, he was confused, perplexed, no strategy, no plan. He was up, he was down, he was left, he was right. He didn't really know what was going on or where he was going. But one day, little Reed had a big idea. His idea came from 1791. He thought that he could use the US Postal Service to compete with big guys like Big John. Little while later, Little Reed finds himself in a conference room sitting opposite Big John, trying to sell him his little idea. But Big John laughed Little Reed out of that room. A few more times, Little Reed would enter that same conference room, sit opposite Big John, pitching his little idea, but every time, he was laughed out of the room. You see, Little Reed was trying to sell his little idea, his small company that had gotten a little bit of traction, for $50 million. You can see why he was laughed out of the room. But you see, $50 million today is two-tenths of 1% of Reed Hastings' little company, a little company called Netflix. And so what happened to Big John's successful entertainment business. Well, in 2010, the last of those blue and yellow signs faded away as Blockbuster Video went broke. Anyone Blockbuster? Oh my goodness. Isn't that just a crazy story? Big John versus Little Reed, David versus Goliath. You know, Big John, really, he was stuck in his ways. He couldn't progress. He couldn't mature. He couldn't move forward. Actually, he really missed it. He couldn't see beyond himself. He couldn't see into the future of the business. You know that as Christians, for you and I, we face the same challenge. Sometimes we can just get stuck. We don't mature. We don't grow. We sort of cannot see beyond where we're at. And that's why we need to behold the risen sun. We need to not just see, but we need to be certain to see, sure to see. You see, Christian living really in essence, is sort of living in this tension between, well, what we know and the mystery of God. Anybody? What a tension that is, hey, like in life. You, you sort of live here in the middle in this tension between what we know and the mystery of God. Paul, in Ephesians 3, says that actually we can know love that is beyond knowledge, and the love that we're aware of is the love here, where we are, within our own knowledge. Yet we are invited into this mystery to know love that is beyond knowledge. How is it that we get there? Faith. Faith is the key to step into love that is beyond knowledge. Be sure to see. Don't get stuck. These disciples actually failed to see beyond where they actually were. Yes, they knew Jesus, but they had not yet beheld the risen son. Verse 11 is really interesting. It says this, but they did not believe the women because. Why? Why couldn't they believe their story? They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense. You know that we as human beings, we love nonsensical things. We love it, don't we? 
We love nonsense. Think about it. Think about all the TV shows that we watch. Think about the movies and all the... I don't watch movies. What about all the books that you read, right? What about, like, the nursery rhymes, all these fantasy stories? We just... Our hearts just beat faster when we read these and when we engage in these TV shows. You know, think about... I mean... Think about Hollywood, right? It's just unbelievable. They just recycle the same stuff over and over again because it's so popular. I mean, we're up to like Matrix number 33, Beauty and the Beast 17. Hey, have you seen Peter Pan 42? It's just like, it's crazy. I feel sorry for the next generation coming through. We keep recycling them. Why? Because people long for these nonsensical stories. It's, it's like a longing and hunger in the human heart is fulfilled from these stories. Yet when they end, when we turn off the television... We leave disappointed because we know, oh, well, it's not real. People would say, oh, that's just a form of escapism. But I wonder if something else is happening here. There's that longing. There's that burning. I wonder what that is. Well, the longing is this. The longing is that we should live forever. That longing is that we shouldn't actually lose loved ones. That longing is that evil should not prevail. That longing is that death is not the end. Think about it. Beauty and the Beast teaches us that love breaks the curse. Lord of the Rings teaches us that we can actually live forever. L-O-T-R, anyone? Yeah? Wrong denomination? That's all right. (laughs) Peter Pan is the boy who never grew up. Think about mystery over here in this this fantasy world. the, The mystery, Peter Pan, childlike faith, never grew up. Think about that. Our heart beats and longs for this. You know that Jesus is actually from this mysterious, supernatural eternal world we sense that it's there it's like our hearts say yes but our heads say no fairy tales fantasy stories they may not necessarily be a form of escapism after all because it's like what we actually want from these stories comes true in jesus i mean think about it in jesus death is not the end right In Jesus, evil has not prevailed. And in Jesus, we can live forever. Do you know that if you receive Jesus into your heart right now, you receive forgiveness from your past. You receive new life and purpose today, as so many teenagers did at church, youth camp, now we're in church, and you receive hope for the future, eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? I'd love actually to invite you to do that later on at the end of this message. If you're here and you're new and you've never ever prayed a prayer to receive Forgiveness from your past, new life today and hope for the future. I, I'll invite you later on. It's the greatest decision you can ever make. We're just so drawn to it, aren't we? Amen. We can behold the risen Jesus today, right now. He's the resurrection and the life. What does it really mean to behold? Well, we get some insight here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. It says this, When anyone turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So what's happening here? We turn to the Lord. The veil of deception is now removed. We live in this atmosphere of trust again with Him, and we behold Him. We see him. And as we are sure to see him, not missing it, something happens. Now, what is it that we're actually looking at? Well, the Bible says it's the glory of the Lord. 
And the Bible then goes on and says, but it's like we're looking at a mirror. So as I look, as I behold the glory of the Lord, I too look like the glory of the Lord. Do you see what's happening here? As we behold him, we become like him. Point number one, to behold him is to become like him, to grow, to mature, to become unstuck by faith, to embrace love that is beyond knowledge, pieces that, that is beyond understanding as so many amazing teenagers did at camp. That's what it means to behold him is to become like him. All of a sudden, we walk like Jesus. We begin to speak like Jesus. We hold ourselves like Jesus, even when our foundation seems to be a little rock. Why is this important? Because there is a world that needs Jesus. And we have the answer. We're not just called to be proclaimers of his word, but we're called to be demonstrators of his love. And if we're going to demonstrate his love, our lives ought to look like his. We are transformed into his likeness, into his image. And all of a sudden, our lives become this on-ramp for another person, a lost human being, to come into the kingdom of God, to receive forgiveness for their past, new life today, and hope for the future. Anyone excited about that? I mean, it's just amazing. To behold him is to become like him. Do you know that what you give attention to grows? I learned this in my marriage. The first few years, as I watched all the greenery, all the plants in our house die, right? We didn't give any attention to the plants. Thank God we don't have pets, you know. Anyone got a cat here? You know, I don't, I don't, there might not be a doggy heaven, but I do know where cats go. Word from the Lord, I think it's Isaiah 72 verse 5. Anyway, if you give attention to lies, they will grow. If you give attention to impure thoughts, they will grow. If you give attention to selfish ambition, it will grow. Think about society. Think about this world we live in. I mean, self-care and self-help and self-improvement. Has anyone ever seen Home Improvement, that TV show? Yeah, Tim Allen. Yeah, it's so good. Home Improvement. And the guy with the fence? Wilson! Now I'm in Castaway. Yeah, Wilson. Anyway, back to the word. <laughs> Think about the world we live in. Let's go back to that line. Self-care, self-help, self-improvement, selfie. I need a weekend away to find myself. It's all about self, isn't it? What about that platform that has exponentially grown? The culture of self-promotion. What's that called? Social media. It's so much about self, we might as well, we might as well call it what? Self-media. Now, I'm on that platform, by the way. It can be used for good, of course. But a lot of it's actually about self it might not even be a photograph that you post, but sometimes we look at other people's photos and we can think, oh, gee, I wish I had that. Jet ski, Pastor James. <laughs> I wish I was over there watching that sunset. I wish I looked like them. I wish I had chosen that career. I wish I could run that business. What's the common denominator in all of those thoughts? The word I, me, it's this... We can get caught up in this trap. Society is teaching us that it's all about self. Tim Keller says it's his definition of sin. Me first. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Do you know that when we focus on who we are, rather than focusing on who he is, rather than beholding who he is, we get further and further and further away from knowing who we are because who we are is found in him. 
To behold him is to become like him. I'm in the world of teenagers, and the latest research says that 57% of teenagers reported that after watching social media, they leave feeling sad, anxious, and depressed. I wonder why. They're not beholding him. They're giving attention to something else, and that is growing. Behold Jesus, and you will grow to become more like him. The question is, though, for, for people in the room here tonight, what kind of Jesus do we behold? I mean, it's one of my favorite quotes. Now I'm trying to think of it. God created mankind in his own image, and ever since then, mankind has been returning the favor. Don't you just love that? It's one of my favorites. It's like the God we want versus the God who is. We can accessorize Jesus sometimes. We can add to him. At other times, well, we can water him down. Oh, well, he's Jesus the teacher. Yeah, mate, he's Jesus the prophet. He's a good bloke, Jesus. He's a good bloke. He's a good fella. We can water Jesus down, but what about Jesus the risen son? We can behold Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his fullness. Because if you just behold Jesus, the teacher, well, that's just all you will become. You, what you behold, is what you'll become. Behold the risen, resurrected son and live in resurrection power. Do you know, um, people often do this in times of suffering. They often water down Jesus or they accessorize him in times of suffering. Or when they encounter a problem that they don't understand. And to be vulnerable for, for a moment, a few years ago, that happened a while ago actually for my wife and I, before we had baby Jack, we had a, a huge desire uh, in our hearts actually to be parents. To be really honest, I, I used to want to play soccer for Manchester United, then rugby league for the Cronulla Sharks, but I mean, gee, look at me. <laughs> and as I matured in Christ, as I embraced mystery by faith and grew and matured in him, as I every day would just behold him, I just had this deep desire to become a father more than anything. And one day, Beck and I, we sat with a medical professional because it was a number of years of trying and they looked at us and this medical professional said, hey, you guys are one to 2% chance actually, one to 2% chance of falling pregnant. And that was a really difficult time. And that was a moment for me Pain is relative, I understand that, but for, for me, that was, just, that was suffering in that moment. And then on for a long time still. It was a point of pain. And do you know what sometimes we do, even as Christians, and the disciples sort of do, they, do this here, is when it comes to encountering a problem that we don't understand, the trap we can fall into is not going straight to the Word of God, not beholding Him. But what we do is we actually, we reason from a place of experience. We ask ourselves, well, what's our experience when it comes to this problem that I don't understand? And the disciples, if you think about them, they go, well, what's my experience when it comes to dead people coming back to life again? Well, not a lot of it. I've never seen that before. And we do the same thing. We reason from, well, what's my experience when it comes to this? The second thing we do is, well, we reason from a place of what society says around that particular problem. We go, well, what do my friends say? And the disciples look at each other and go, well, mate, what's your experience? What do you think about this, this dead person coming back to life again? And you and I can fall into the same trap. What, are, what does it say out in there in the interwebs? What does social media say? What do the tabloids say? And we, we reason from this 
place of what does society say? And then we go, well, thirdly, I'm a Christian, so I suppose I should have a look. Bit of a pick and flick, you know. What does is, what is God's word say about that particular problem? And what happens is, is that if this doesn't match what our experience is around that problem, if this doesn't match what society says about that problem, then that person may have a tendency to deconstruct this until this matches that. All of a sudden, we have a person renovating the Word of God through the lens of a broken heart rather than having their broken heart renovated by the Word of God. Hey, come on, people. This, as mature Christians, should speak to our experience. This should speak into society, not be shaped by it. It's a trap. And church, can I tell you, I guarantee you, probably everyone in this room has suffered felt pain, not understood something, but hey, to behold him is to become like him. To behold him in his fullness. Don't water him down. Don't add to him. Open the word. Behold him and embrace this mystery by faith because there is a broken world that needs Jesus. You know what I did? And I brought my men, I brought my diary here with me. (laughs) Don't be judging. And uh, in that moment of pain for me, I turned to the Word. And by the way, you know, I didn't always. I had many moments of unbelief. And it's okay to be in those moments too. You know what I really love about Thomas, who's known as the doubter, is that when Jesus finally meets him, he was with the disciples. And hey, maybe if you're here tonight and you're doubting a little bit, can I just say, stay in faith community. You can be in unbelief in a place like this. It's okay. I truly believe, I know Pastor Nathan, this place is a place of belonging. Belong, believe, become. It's not the other way around. Is that all right if I... It's a place of belonging. So anyway, I, I turned to the Word of God. It was actually a moment of anger. I was driving and I, I just started praying and God put uh, Psalm 78 on my heart. And so I, I just wrote it down. This is the second of the first, 2020. Hard to read, right, from where you, where you are. And this is what the Scripture says. Tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to, ready, teach their children. As soon as I read children, my my heart jumped a little bit. And then it says this, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn will tell their children, they will put their trust in God and will not forget his deeds, but will keep his commands. Now, all of a sudden, this, as I behold him, right, I, I start to become like him. And, and as I read this scripture, as I turn to the word first, as I reason from scripture, even the children yet to be born, well, my child is yet to be born. And then it says, and they in turn will tell their children. And do you know what God said to me? He said, hey, stop praying for your children and start praying for your children's children, which indicated to me that, well, in God, my miracle had already taken place. I was already having children. And as I beheld him, as I engaged in the word, I stepped from what I knew into this mystery. It still took another year before Beck fell pregnant, but she did. And now we have our little Jack. And I'm really aware, actually, that there's probably a lot of people in the room. And by the way, I'll finish soon, so if the, the band want to come back up. This, this me is calling the band back up. Sorry. Come on, guys. I'm just really aware, actually, as I say that, that 
If the miracle we're after is Lazarus rising from the dead, well, I'm very aware that there's people in the room that, well, their Lazarus didn't rise. Whatever that is to you, and, you know, I, I truly believe, and I'm learning and growing, you know, just as a Christian myself, but I really believe that faith isn't sometimes even believing for a specific outcome, but it's actually just believing that God is good despite that outcome. That's a real hard, it's a real hard truth. But I just want to encourage you with that because that's what the Word says. And I do believe that every promise in Jesus is yes and amen. I really do believe that. And it's like in that moment, what God can do is He gives us, as we embrace this mystery, He gives us this peace that transcends our understanding for that which we don't understand. And that's why it's so important. And I just really wanted to be sensitive with that. We must behold the risen Jesus, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And ready? And so is your faith. We must behold the risen Jesus so we can live in resurrection power. The second thought is to become like him is to share him with others. To become like him is to share Jesus with others. Uh, verse 12, Peter runs to the tomb. It's, it's pretty amazing scripture. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And John's gospel records this like running race. It's like tribal wars at youth camp. You know, it's like the saucy pool. <laughs> what is that? Saucy pool. Actually, can I, it reminds me of something. At youth camp, can I just go there real quick? Yeah, I've got time. Um, we're not in the altar call yet. Um, they had this thing where, like, they were writing warm fuzzies, like, you know, an encouraging note to each other. And there's, like, this whole wall. And uh, very quickly, those warm fuzzies turned to hot fuzzies. Because a couple of people wrote, you're hot, and put that note in the thing. I, just, I thought that is so good when warm fuzzies become hot fuzzies. Ooh la la. <laughs> Sorry, parents, but you might have some cleaning up to do. It's all good. There's lovers in the air. Anyway, I just found that so good. The word saucy is, was the catalyst for that thought. Isn't that really weird? <laughs> Sorry, forgive me. I'm from New South Wales. We lose at everything. <sighs> Origin. Peter runs to the tomb, and in John... He records, it's like John and then Peter, it's this tribal war and they're getting there and they, they find that the tomb's empty, right? He is risen, he's not there and it's amazing. And it's like the beginning of, of, you know, Peter's behold moment. It's really cool. And I just was thinking about why? Why was it that Peter went? What was the catalyst for him to go there? And really, it was the story. It was the women, these amazing women that had come back with the story. How do we even know about this this whole thing, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're really good guys. Well, they weren't there. It was these three women. And the reason Peter and John actually ran to the tomb was because of the story that these women had boldly proclaimed to these guys. It's absolutely amazing. Do you know, that was the moment that the longing in their hearts became a reality. And the tomb today, well, friends, it's still empty. They couldn't find the body. You know, it's been said that one of the greatest pieces of evidence is that they could, find, they could not find the body. But I actually don't think that's one of the greatest pieces of evidence. I don't think it's that we couldn't find the body. I think it's that, well, the body found them. I think that's one of the greatest pieces of evidence. It's not that we couldn't find the body. It's that the body found them. Isn't that just amazing? Jesus appeared. 
to Mary Magdalene, his mother, Joanna, the disciples, a bunch of people down by the Sea of Galilee, James alone, Peter alone, Cleopas and his friend on the Emmaus Road, a number greater than 500 people. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, he appeared to more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of them who are alive today. Do you know that that's one of the earliest manuscripts we have? It was written at this, at this time when most of those people who physical Jesus appeared to were still alive. I believe that because there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection and the validity of the Gospels, but I truly believe that the greatest evidence for the resurrection and forever will be is the testimony of those who saw him and those who since have encountered him. Who's that? That's you. That's me. That's the church. That's this youth ministry. Our story being passed on from generation to generation. We just, the greatest evidence of the resurrection was seen here tonight. The power of the resurrection. As these teenagers beheld him at camp, they became like him. And they stand on this platform tonight, like Jesus, sharing the power of the resurrection with you, what it can do in their lives. I mean, how amazing is that? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the power of the resurrection. It's just unbelievable. Billions and billions of people have shared these stories. It's just unbelievable. A couple of thousand years later in 2015, and I'll finish with this story, there were 21 men that were captured by that group, ISIS. They were in Libya and they were captured and they were brought into Egypt. They were dressed in orange jumpsuits. These 21 blokes were Christians and they were knelt down on this beach. The captors put a bag over their heads and they asked these guys one by one to denounce their faith in Jesus. And if they don't, well, these men, they lose their life. And as they ask these men one by one, they lose their lives. One, two, three, Four, five, six, seven, eight. Can you feel the weight? Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, ninety, twenty. This is in 2015. And it gets to the 21st person. And it comes out later on that actually the 21st guy, well, he actually wasn't a Christian. And here he is on his knees, on this beach, asked to denounce his faith in Jesus, the faith actually that he doesn't have. And he's there looking at his oppressor and he looks up and he looks down the line and he looks up and he, he looks down the line. This guy's name was Matthew Ayerga. You might be familiar with this story. And he looks up at the moment they ask him to denounce his faith. He looks down the line one more time and he says this, their God is my God. Their God is my God. And at that, he lost his life. But you and I know as mature Christians that that wasn't the moment he lost his life. That was the moment he found his life. That right there in that moment was the moment that that man found his life. Reminds me of that criminal on the cross. They didn't proclaim the gospel. They lived it. To behold him is to become like him. To become like him is to share 
Jesus with others. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes across this place? We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.